Well, you know you're in trouble when I bring three books, and I didn't bring the Bible with me even, so there should be four probably with me. But I just, just wanted to remind you, first of all, that we're begun what will be a, a probably more than a year-long, in a sense, series that I'm calling Catechism. And catechism comes from the word catechesis, which really means teaching. And from the very beginning in, in our faith, it was about teaching. I mean, it comes out, we come out of the Jewish faith, which had rabbis who were teachers. And, and then as the Christianity developed, there, there was very much a desire to have people learn the doctrine of the church, learn the faith of the church. And how we ended up doing that was by putting together these question and answer formats called catechisms. Did anybody go through catechism when they, when they grew up in church? Yeah. So at some point, you went through some period of perhaps more intense Sunday school or whatever it was, and then for, for many of us, I grew up in the Lutheran church, and catechism was when, you know, you came before the church and they could ask you any question from the catechism and you had to be able to answer it from memory. Luther's small catechism, thank you, Jesus. Not the Westminster Confession or something like that, that the, you know, the, the larger catechism. So the, but the catechism we're using, it's relatively newish in terms of its composition. It's called the New City Catechism. It is not necessarily embraced by our denomination, but it is in the Reformed tradition. And the New City Catechism, you can download this as an app on your phone. Just go to the Apple Store or, or the whatever it is, the Google Store, and, and, and look for New City Catechism, and, and you can download it on your phone for free. So if you have that, we, we are on question three. And I just want to tell you, I called my older son last night, and, I, and he said, hello, I said, I have a question for you. I said, how many persons are there in God? That was my question. <laughs> you have to understand, he thought that was kind of funny. We have a weird sense of humor. But, so here's the answer. How many persons are there in God? There are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. I love one of the commentary pieces in this. Kevin DeYoung says this, the doctrine of the Trinity is the most important Christian doctrine that most people never think about. Why? Because it's difficult. Because it seems like complicated math, right? One is three and three is one and that doesn't make any sense if you got beyond kindergarten, you know? I mean, it just, those, those, it doesn't compute it doesn't make a lot of sense. We sort of throw up our throw up our hands around it. And to be really honest, most Christians sort of become like Jesus is. Right? We're very folk we often get very focused on Jesus, on who Jesus is, and we forget that in the orthodox understanding of Christianity and and the way Jesus presented God to us. We are Trinitarian. We are Trinitarian. Now, there are people who claim to be Christians and denominations and other, other people of faith who claim to be Christian that I would argue are not Christian because they don't believe in the Trinity. We're not going to name names here. That's not what we're about. We're not about creating division. But I just, I just want to say, like, that's one of the things about doctrine that actually is helpful, 
is when you have a better understanding of what of what the church has taught throughout time, and then you begin to wrestle with that for your own faith, and hopefully it helps your own faith, that helps you be able to engage in conversation with people of other faiths in a more robust way. Because we do not worship the same God as other faiths. Let's just be clear about that. This is not a divisive statement. I'm not trying to create controversy here. I'm just saying we often use reductionist language around, around different faiths because we want to get along. And I think that's a wonderful impulse. I think it's a wonderful impulse to want to get along. But the way that Christians understand God at, God's, at the very being of this Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is fundamentally different than our Jewish brothers and sisters? Our Muslim brothers and sisters? And people of other faiths who claim to be monotheists even. So I just, I want to put that out there because, because we, this happens a lot. Well, you know, we're all, we're all just, we're, we all worship saying that. No, we actually, we don't. And that can be an opening to say, hey, let me tell you about this really cool way that we understand God. Because the Trinity is infinitely fascinating. It has so much meaning and depth, and I think that's part of the reason why we shy away from it, is because it, it, is, it isn't easy to understand. We often just go, oh, well, you know, it's a mystery, and so that's it. Well, a mystery is not something necessary to either be solved or to, or to shy away from and to say, oh, it's a mystery, we don't have to look into it. A mystery, and I love this definition, is it has so much truth in it that you'll never plumb the depths of it. You'll never stop learning more about the mystery. So, so let's, let's, I'll, I'll try to elucidate some things here. I mean, we only have like 15 minutes, and we're not going to be here for, you know, like six-week session, and you, we still wouldn't be able to plumb the depths of, of the Trinity. So here, here are seven statements, and this is in that devotional. If you've got that up, here are the seven statements about the Trinity that are true. God is one. There's only one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. Once you get that, you've got it all covered. Easy, right? I mean, our little brains, I mean, if that doesn't already have you, I'll say that again. I went pretty fast. God is one, there's only one God. Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. It's so very interesting because in our minds, especially as we think of the word persona or person, right? Like, you're a person. You're a person. You're separate from the person you're sitting next to. You're not enmeshed with them, and, and especially in corporeal form. We see, right, there's, there's a separateness to it. Well, the, the word person, back in the day, when they started talking about the three persons, and that was the language that they landed on for the Trinity, they were really talking about, in a sense, personae, in the Greek sense, and these were, and it's not a great, it's not a perfect metaphor because it's a metaphor, 
it really was about the, the theater and about the, the different personae that the actors took on because most actors back in Greek theater played more than one role at one time in the theater. And probably back then it was still all men playing all the roles. And so they would take on these different roles. So they might play a female role or they might play some other, a child's role or they might play something else. And so they had masks that they wore. So that's, that's sort of how it began to be understood, which again is a little bit of a heresy because the way, some of the ways that we, we sort of screw up our understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity is that, that God is like a heavenly board of directors of a corporation made up of three equal partners, each of whom has a particular responsibility. Right? We think of God, and the Father, as the creator. We think of Jesus as the savior or redeemer. We think of the spirit as the truth bringer or the comforter. Right? We assign them, we, I mean, what's interesting is we assign them gender as well, which is actually not at all biblical, really, because God is, and metaphorically in the Bible, talked about as a mother hen, as well as a father, as well as a parent, you know? I mean, yes, Jesus came in his form, came as a male. Yes, okay, we can, we can go there. But as we see Jesus as part of the Godhead, Right? We don't need to necessarily assign gender in that way. The spirit, we've often thought of as female, though throughout time the different words used for spirit in the different languages are all over the place in terms of gender. And so, so there's that. And then there's also God is like a man or a woman who wears three hats or three masks and fulfills several functions at, this, at the same time. A spouse, a wage earner, or a member of a profession, a church officer, or a civic leader. God is like an actor who changes costumes to play three different roles in a drama. So those are easier ways for us to understand it, aren't they? Right? Because we get the distinctiveness and we get the, the, the sameness, but they're, they're still heresies. And so one of the things that's really helpful, and I, I would always commend this to you if you ever are interested in reading accessible Christian doctrine in the Reformed theology, is Shirley Guthrie's Christian doctrine. This was used in seminaries for years and years and years, but, but it's really a study guide. It's really, it's, really, it's really written for people in churches to understand. And what I love about what Shirley Guthrie does here is he breaks it down to say these two things are very important. And I'm going to say the first, and then I'm going to explain the second. The works of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we'll use that traditional language, are indivisible. Okay? So, meaning, yes, the Father creates, but the Son and the Spirit are involved in creation. Right? In the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Nothing was created without the Word, right? So that's, and we think of the Word as, as Jesus as the Word. The works of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are indivisible. We may distinguish between God's work as creator and ruler of the world, as reconciler, liberator, and savior, as the renewer and the transformer of the life of human beings and all creation, but the will and work of the Trinity cannot be separated or set over and against each other. They can only be understood in light of each other and in their agreement with each other. That's how they're one God. 
So now, object lesson, do this. Very traditional, right? If you've, you've probably been in some churches where they had triangles and, and it, was, it was sort of a, a representation of the Trinity, right? Because it, th- it, has, it has three points. So where does the Father go, if you were thinking about it? Oh, at the top. Yeah, at the top, right? Right? Normally, I mean, if you were just thinking, oh, where am I going to put the Father? The Father's going to go at the top. Son, Holy Spirit on one side or the other. You can put your hands down. What, what do you notice about that? There's a top and a bottom. There's a hierarchy. Even though they're all connected, there's a hierarchy. We, we sort of naturally put our own human understandings of, of how we believe things ought to be ordered because we, we have, I think, a sinful bias that someone ought to be in a position of control and power. That power and control cannot be shared. I think we just naturally go to that. And that may be true in some ways in in human culture and in, in, in human ways of understanding. But when we start to do this with the Trinity, we reinforce that, right? And that's where the church gets called patriarchal. You know, again, there are still there are still denominations today who are Trinitarian, who are Christian, who, you know, a female could not be doing the job that I do, which I think is fundamentally wrong because there's this notion of, of patriarchalism that, that still goes in there, that, that, there are, that there are only certain roles for certain people. Everybody has a role, everybody's called to one, but I don't believe that there are only certain roles for certain people. I don't believe that honors the Trinity. So I want you to think about the Trinity. There's a word that that gets used, and it's a very interesting word, perichoresis. P-E-R-I, which means around. Choresis. Choreography. It literally means dancing. Choresis. That the relationship of the Trinity is dancing around. So if you've ever watched two people dancing, right, and the choreography of that, at certain points, they may be separate bodies, but the movement becomes one. It's a movement. And if you want to imagine from a human point of view, there are the two persons who are dancing together like that, but there's also something that happens in the spirit of their movement that they are creating together. I kind of like that image. But in our way of understanding the Trinity, there are three of them that are dancing together. And as my son reminded me last night, here's the thing about that. In God's triunity... God is perfect and complete and needs nothing because God's love in that triunity is perfected because they are a community. They are in relationship with one another. They are dancing together. And here's the beautiful, cool part about that is out of that love that God is, 
God didn't have to create something in order to love it. God was love within God's self already out of that overflowing of love. As one writer, I think, wrote about it, like as they're dancing around, they're like, hey, we want to share this and spoke into being the universe and created us to share in this divine community this divine love, this triunity. And so the Trinity then becomes, if we believe in it, when we believe in it, when we trust in it, it becomes the model for all community. It becomes the model for all community. There is a deep, as Shirley Guthrie says, It is the unity of a community of persons who love each other and live together in harmony. There is a deep, intimate, insoluble unity between them. Now, there is no solitary person separated from the others, no above and below, no first, second, and third in importance, no ruling and controlling and being ruled and controlled, no position of privilege to be maintained over and against others, no questions of conflict concerning who's in charge, no possible rivalry or competition between competing individuals, no need to assert independence or authority of one at the expense of the other. We don't have any problem with that, right? If you ever wondered if there's actually brokenness and sin, read that over again and then say, is this how we've modeled human community? We've modeled community exactly the opposite against that, that there is hierarchy, there is separation, there is division. We think there has to be people in control and controlling. We think there has to be privilege. That's where we're broken. Guthrie goes on to say, now... There is only the fellowship and community of equals who share all that they are and all that they have in communion with each other, each living with and for the others in mutual openness, self-giving love and support, each free not from the others, right? Because that's the freedom I think we always want. We want to be free from from things. We want to be free from things. In the Trinity, they are free for each other in their completeness, Each free, not from, but for the others. That is how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are related in the inner circle of the Godhead. They are one personal God in their total and unreserved fellowship and community with and for each other. I don't know about you, but if that doesn't inspire you just a little bit, like I think we've missed the point. And to remember that we don't don't necessarily believe in in the Trinity, in in that way, we believe in a living God and the Trinity is the way this living God expresses God's self, the way we understand that expression. God created us out of this beautiful divine dance of love. And even as God gave us the freedom to reject that, and when we did, God poured out God's self. (laughs) to show us the way again to that love and that wholeness and that forgiveness and that fellowship with God and with one another. And that happened in the life and the death and the resurrection of the one that we call the Son of God. 
And the work of Jesus is indissolvable from the work of the Father and the Spirit. So may you let this trouble you a little bit. May it maybe bring to life some interest in the doctrine of the church and what you thought might have been dry and boring and hard to understand, may it actually come to enliven and challenge your faith to a new place. May you find it to be life-giving because this Trinity is our life. Amen.